We're in a series, and it's you in five years. And we talked the first week about the, the who, that you um, would kind of get together with God and you would say, who do I want to be in five years? Who do I want to be in 2024? By the way, in your worship folder, um, I, I cheated a little bit. The place for notes is a little more basic. It's just lines. Because when this went to print, um, I have four things to share with you today. When this went to print, I still had seven. And so I knew I was going to cut some of them. And so I just put lines on. I actually considered dots instead of lines. In case you get really bored, you could play dots with the person next to you. But something for you to fill out. Um, if God says something that's important for you, you need to write that down because you remember it way better. We talked about who do I want to be in 2024. That's, that's five years. And I know too many people are like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'll be the same and everything will be good. And the problem is you won't. You'll either be better or worse, but you won't be the same. And I have, I have people tell me, you know, I'm just going to coast and it'll be okay. And I always have to remind them, do you realize if you're coasting, you're going downhill that's what happens. And so what does God want you to be in five years? And we talked about five years. One of the things is we overestimate what we can do in one year. But we underestimate what we could do in five years and what we could accomplish. It's a lot. Like, for instance, you could say, I want to do 1,800 push-ups. <laughs> one a day. <laughs> in five years, you've done over 1,800 push-ups. Because 1,825 days, actually 1,827 two leap days over the next five years, so you get extra days to do stuff. But in five years, you could accomplish a lot. And we wanted you to be able to hear from God and say, what do you want me to be? Who should I be in five years? The next week, we talked about kind of the why of it and, and, and why is it important for us to get moving and do this. And remember, we talked about um, uh, one of the biggest issues is uh, overcoming inertia, you know, the Newton's laws of motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, unless acted upon by an outside force. An object in motion tends to stay in motion, unless acted upon by an outside force. The biggest part of this is overcoming that inertia and getting moving and moving toward that thing if you're not doing that already. And then once you get moving, remember, it can be your best friend or your worst enemy, this inertia thing. It can be your worst enemy. Once you want to start getting going, you have to overcome that like the rocket launching. But once you do that and you have the motion going, it's much easier to maintain than it is to get it going. So that's what we looked at week two. Last week, we looked at the how. Um, how do we do this? And if you remember, we actually showed a clip from What About Bob? Because the how is baby steps. I had people tell me, I had to go watch that movie last week now. <laughs> Baby steps, little by little, is what God said. That's how he does it. He doesn't like, boom, change us all at once. He does it little by little as we take these steps. And, and I like to look at these steps as, as we do things that are actually just, they're like too small to fail at. They're just little things. But when we do them over and over, and we do them this whole time, good things happen. This is week four of you in five years. And what we're going to talk about today 
is as you're starting to figure out, here's what God wants me to be, here's what I need to be doing in order to have that happen, we're going to look at common saboteurs. And I picked that word because it's just really fun to say. <laughs> saboteurs. What are some of the things that, that derail or distract us or, or disrupt what we're trying to do? Things that, that halt or, or hinder us or they might even just, they hold us up and we don't, we're unable to accomplish what we believed we were supposed to accomplish. It was actually kind of tough to narrow down because there are so many of them. But what I've tried to do is pick the most common ones because we'll all struggle with these at one time or another. The first one is one that I think almost everyone struggles with at one time or another. The first one is a saboteur number one, busyness. Busyness. Life gets crazy. See, we have great intentions. We have an idea of what God wants us to do to become who we should be in five years. And then we overcome that inertia of just being in one spot and, st- and we get moving. We become that object in motion that's easier to stay moving and just little by little we're taking our baby steps and then life happens. The day-to-day things that they just need to get done. Um, and that can be so many different things depending on what season of life you're in at the moment. Maybe you're in that season of life where you're learning what it is to have less sleep because you have little ones in the house. We talked about this when we first had our kids that it's like, oh my goodness, are we ever going to sleep through the night again? It's been 30-some years, and we're still wondering, are we ever going to sleep through the night again? Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you're in the season of life where you feel like you've become a taxi service. Or in, in today's world, I guess we'd say you'd become an Uber for events and activities, and you feel like that's all you do is drive kids around to activities. Maybe it's work responsibilities for you. Maybe it's relationship situations and it could just be you're, you, you have going on in your life consequences of choices that have been made. And, and life just happens, and it gets busy. Busyness is, it's, in, in reality, it's a saboteur that we often actually brag about struggling with. You hear it all the time. Oh, I'm just so busy. And we're, at, we're bragging about that. And what we're saying is, I can't control my life. Things are out of control. It's just too busy. I can't do what I really need to accomplish. And we brag about what we're struggling with. Here's what I, here's what I think for many people, what I'm hoping is that most of you have, are, are learning to get past the thing where you have this thing that you can choose that's bad. And you know you're not supposed to choose it. And then there's the good thing over here. I'm hoping that we're getting to the point in life where you can say, nope, that's bad. I'm choosing good. The harder choice is actually when we get to that point and we have something that's good, but we have something that's better, and then we have something that's best. That's actually harder to make those kinds of choices. Paul understood that, and he had been doing some amazing things. He had, um, he had quite the, the pedigree in terms of what, what he had accomplished. But here's what he writes in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, about all these things that he does. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Those things I was trying to do to earn my way to look good, he said, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared. So what is he saying is worthless? 
everything else is worthless except this one thing. So it's obviously a pretty important thing compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that is not knowing about Jesus. It's not knowing facts. It's about an intimate, personal relationship, knowing him. It's, the word is actually experiential knowing. That I'm, becoming, I'm coming to know and love him better. And he said, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have discarded everything else. Those things I thought were so important, those things that the busyness in my life that was keeping me from that, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as, what does it say? That's a very polite word. We've talked about this before. The, the Greek word is skubala. Say skubala. How dare you say that in church? <laughs> you say, why? What does skubala mean? I could say it like this. You've probably heard this phrase before. Mm, scubala happens. <laughs> and you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what scubala actually means. I'll use the polite church word. It's dung. He says, I've discarded everything else and counting it all as scubala. Why? So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. It doesn't mean he didn't do anything else. It doesn't mean he got rid of everything else completely out of his life. It means, here's how I'm counting all that other stuff. I'm prioritizing things. And I have one priority, and that's knowing Jesus. Nothing more important. You know who says that? Someone who knows Jesus. You know who says they don't have enough time for that? Someone who doesn't know Jesus. Or at least doesn't know him as well as they think they do. Because if you knew him as well as you should, you would say the same thing. Nothing is more important than that. Nothing is more important than that. Out of all the problems that sneak up on us, I think busyness is actually one of the easier ones to change. And the reason for that is, what do we have to do? We have to strip away, we have to discard the non-essential, urgent demands until our schedule reflects our values. It's been called the tyranny of the urgent. We have these things that are, they seem so freaking important right now. I have to do this. It's urgent. I have to do this right now. And if we really stepped back and looked at it, so many of those things are not going to be important five years from now. So many of those things that take up all our time aren't going to be important five minutes from now. And yet they can keep us from doing the things that are most important. So in other words, what we do is we schedule on purpose. We say, this is what I'm going to do. These are my priorities because these are my values. Is this thing over here important? Yep, but this is more important. So this is what I do. So what we do is, I know what some of you are thinking right now, and I know that because I think the same thing. I don't have the time. I just really don't have the time. We talk here all the time about the laws of the harvest. Sowing and reaping. Planting and harvesting. That's a, it's a universal law. We're seeing it in our area right now with all the farmers trying to get things planted. Let me ask you this. If a farmer wants to harvest corn at harvest time, what are they planting right now? 
Corn, you're brilliant. <laughs> if a farmer wants to harvest soybeans in the fall or in the harvest time, what are they planting now? Yeah. Then why is it that we plant something here and expect to reap something else over here? We do this thing here, and in five years, everything has gone to hell in a handbasket. And we say, how did that happen? It's like, you planted it. So here's, here's the thing. Whatever you need more of, that's what you plant. If you plant a kernel of corn, do you get a kernel of corn? No. You get a whole bunch of them. Anything you need more of, you plant. So if you need more time, you say, I need more time in my life. What do you invest? Time. time. You say, but I don't have time. Then you never will until you learn to invest it until you learn to choose correctly and plant that thing that you need more of. So if you need more time, plant it and you'll reap it. And you say, I understand this and this and this is important, but this is more important, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest this time in this. And you look back in five years and you invested time in the best things and you will never say, gee, I wish I would have invested it more in the mundane things that didn't worth, you know, weren't worth anything. You'll never say that. You'll say, I'm really glad I made those choices. So in Psalm 46, it says it like this. Two words that everybody here needs to hear. Be still and know that I am God. Because our lives get so busy and get so crazy, we don't take that time to stop because we're too busy. And he says, you want to know God? Here's how you know who God is. Here's how you know him more intimately and personally. Be still. And the only way we're going we're gonna to be able to know him is to learn how to do that. And so what you'll do is you'll say, that's what I need more of. I need more of that, so i got to spend that time. And here's what will happen. You'll get sidetracked. There'll be all kinds of things happen. And you'll have to say, nope, i got to stop and i got to be still. I'm not going to let the busyness take this away because in five years, I don't want to look back and say, I did all these busy things, but I didn't get what I really needed. I didn't, I didn't learn that infinite value of knowing Christ. And I discarded the wrong things. So the first is busyness. The next saboteur that we will look at is boredom. Some of you are experiencing this right now. Sorry. I picked this one so that you would be able to relate to it. See, here's what happens. Walking through just the motions of our daily lives, it can become routine. And let's face it, it can sometimes get boring. And what happens is, is we're taking these baby steps and little by little we're trying to do what we, we need to do to get where we need to be so that five years from now we are who we're supposed to be. As we're doing that, what can happen is day-to-day life just happens and all of a sudden passion levels drop off a little bit and drive and enthusiasm dwindle. And you know why this happens? I think two things. One is not seeing the future value. Not understanding that God helped you choose these little steps and these little steps you're taking are going to get you where you need to be. It's just going to take time. And another reason is we don't see change quickly enough. We think we're supposed to do this and it's like, I've been doing this, I don't see any change. How long have I been doing it? Three days. (laughs) And here's what we say. This isn't getting me anywhere. 
because it's short term. It's like the farmer would go out and plant the corn and get back for dinner. And then after dinner, he would come out and look in the field and say, well, that's not working. (laughs) It takes time, you know, but you're going along great step by step, little by little, but you're just not seeing the results as quickly as you thought you would. And you begin to wonder, maybe I chose poorly. Maybe I misheard. Maybe I'm doing the wrong things because not seeing anything. So it can be boredom, but this exact same thing also shows up as burnout. Very similar. We can get bored of doing things or get tired of doing things over and over and over. So when you don't see the results, it gets harder to keep going. It can show up as, as boredom or burnout. And it just seems easier to quit. It's not going to produce what I thought it was anyhow. So whether it's boredom or burnout, this is a verse you need to know. Galatians 6, 9. Very important. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Doing the right thing. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, and that's God's timing, not ours, we will reap a harvest of blessing. And what are those last five words? If we don't give up. You know what, to me, is so extremely sad? I've seen it in so many lives. So many people quit just this side of a breakthrough. They know what they want. They know what God has for them. They know who they could be. And they do it, and they do it, and, and the, the, the busyness happens, the, the boredom, and the burnout set in, and it's like, I just, I can't do this anymore, and they quit, and they don't realize that it could have only been a few more steps, and they would have made it. They would have been to the next plateau where they would have seen that breakthrough, and I say, if only you'd have kept going, if only you'd have stuck with it, because the problem is then you have to start all over again. And you have to overcome that inertia again because now you're an object at rest again. But it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere and we don't stick with it. And here's what we do. We talked about this last week. We despise small beginnings. We say that's not getting me anywhere. That's a little thing. That's not that big a deal. Remember in Zechariah, we looked at this last week. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Isn't that a verse you just want to cling to and tell people, you know what? God loves seeing the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Use that the next time you're out coffee with someone and see how they respond to that. Here's what that means. The temple needed to be rebuilt from the foundations up, and it wasn't happening. And he comes along and says, I'm going to do this. We're going to make this happen. And it says that God rejoiced just to see the work start. To see the plumb line in his hand, like, okay, we're going to set the foundation. Here's the plumb line. We're going to get started here. God loved that. In fact, he loved it so much. It says, um, it talked about these seven lamps and God looking around. And it explains what that means in this verse. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. And, and in this context, you know what they're searching for? Somebody who will start. Somebody who will start even though it's small beginnings, even though it's little steps. It's like, here's where I want to be in five years, and you you can't jump there. You have to take the baby steps. And God says, I am looking all around to find people who will do that, 
who will just take those little steps and move in that direction. So the first was busyness, and then boredom or burnout. And the next saboteur, number three, is by yourself. I had to do that because I wanted to stick with the bees. I like the bee. And really, it's alone. It's when you're feeling alone. The idea is, in this endeavor that you're doing, you're starting to feel alone. Maybe maybe you're lacking support. Maybe, for too many of you, you're not allowing support. Maybe you're, you're even being or feeling like you're being ridiculed for the steps that you're taking. You know, you're made fun of, you're slandered, you're mocked. It's like, what are you doing? That's not going to accomplish anything. And that's what you're hearing in your head. Here's what I read in my quiet time this week. I'm, I've gone into First Peter, and I'm in chapter 4, and here's what it says. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So you've made a choice to take these steps and to move in the right direction. And it says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. And I, I know that many of you here have experienced that. You have your set of friends, and you decide to make a change, and you start doing the right thing, and all of a sudden they start ridiculing you and mocking you. And you know why they're doing that? Because you're making them feel guilty. You're doing what's right, and they don't want to do what's right. They're still back here doing what's wrong, and so they're going to start slandering you and ridiculing you because you make them look bad. He says in verse 5, remember, they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Now, there's, there's a kind of a nuance in that passage that you don't necessarily get from this translation. And I want to read it for you from the message paraphrase because I think it gives us both sides of it in a very good way. He says, of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore. And here's the important line. But you don't have to give an account to them. You don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. So when you hear that, whether it's real or perceived, you don't have to fall into that again because you don't have to give an account to them. You answer to God and they're going to answer to God too. So my question is, tough question, who are you mainly hanging with? Now, I know that we need to have close relationships with Jesus followers, okay? But we also need to build bridges to and relationships with people who need to know Jesus because that's how they come to know Jesus is by us doing that. But my question is, who are you mainly hanging with and are they aiding you and encouraging you and helping you along or are they bringing you down? I know way too many people who started along good and they went back to the wrong influences and that fizzled. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about that. Paul talks about that. And the line that he starts with is some of the things that they had been talking about. He says, if there is no resurrection. Now, obviously, there is a resurrection. And what, we're, what the Bible teaches is true and all these things are going to happen. But he's saying if there is no resurrection, if this, if this isn't real, if we're just playing church, let's eat, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. 
Now, actually, I would say if the first part of that is true, if this isn't real, then that's really good advice. Let's feast and drink. Tomorrow we die. Let's have a good time. Life is short. You only go around once. Let's grab for all the gusto. Let's do this. That's what these people are saying. Anybody know anyone with that attitude? Doesn't really matter because this church thing isn't real. The religion thing isn't real. Jesus and all that stuff, that's just made up. And if that's true, then let's feast and drink. Tomorrow we die. That's what people are saying to you. Here's what he says. Don't be fooled by those who say, say such things. For, and then it's interesting, he quotes this outside source. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully, he says, about what is right. Bad company corrupts good character. To a large degree, if I know that who, if I know who you spend most of your time hanging with, I can have a pretty good idea where you're going to be in five years. So, we can't spend all of our time with and listen to the wrong people. But we need people. We're not intended to do it alone. We need each other. Uh, Have you ever heard me say this? We're better together only like every week. Because we're better together. We're family. We're not intended to do this all alone. Here's how I like to say it. We all need a Paul and a Timothy. You're like, what? In the Bible, there was Timothy. Young guy, preacher, trying to do what God wanted him to do. Had a mentor named Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's just kind of fun that I'm Timothy and my mentor's name is Paul. <laughs> I've met with him almost, except for like less than a dozen Thursdays in the last 19 years. And I cannot tell you how much he has put into my life. The funny thing is he probably couldn't either. I don't know why you're meeting with me. And it's like, because you can't imagine how much you've taught me in all this time. We all need that Paul in our life that's going to pull us up doesn't have to be named Paul. You can find somebody with a different name. That's okay. Um, But we all need a Paul in our life. We also all need a Timothy. That's somebody, it's not like we're way better than them. It might be that we're only a step or two ahead. But we need somebody pulling us up, and we need somebody that we're pulling up. That's how we all get better. We just, we're not saying I'm way better than you so I could fix you and I could pull you up. It's like, no, I've just, I was there not that long ago and I'm a couple steps ahead of you. Let me share with you. Here's what God did. That's what happens when we have those kind of relationships. That's what happens in small groups. That's what happens when we pick people that we spend that kind of time with. Church, the family that is church, especially Journey North Church in my opinion, is a place to find help along the road so that we can continue um, taking those baby steps, so that we can continue little by little taking the steps we need and growing. I saw this um, on Instagram, one of the the places I follow and do a devotional on, had had a picture on Instagram, and the words on it simply said this, don't die in a sea of lifeguards. 
don't die in a sea of lifeguards. You are surrounded by people who are, they're broken like you are, but they love you, and, and we can help each other. We can help pull each other along and help each other on this journey. Remember, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. So the first saboteur is busyness. The next was boredom or burnout. That's when you're tired of doing it for whatever reason. And then number three is you're trying to do it all by yourself. There are countless saboteurs of that you in five years that you want to be. I just want to look at one more today. Saboteur number four is brokenness. I found a B word, brokenness. Here's what that is. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And here's what I know. Anybody within the sound of my voice right now that's hearing me, whether it's here or you're listening online or you're listening to a CD of this, it doesn't matter. Every single person hearing this has hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And if you say, I don't, then I know what yours is. (laughs) Probably denial, among other things. But we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We all have things. And sometimes this literally keeps us from doing what we should and stops us dead in our tracks because it's things that are debilitating. It's things that are literally stopping us from being who we should be and what God wants us to do and taking those little steps. Sometimes it literally stops us. Sometimes it only appears to do that. What do I mean by that? Because they both have the same outcome. The outcome is we don't become who we could be. What I mean is that sometimes because of our brokenness, we stumble and fall. Even though we're just taking baby steps, we still trip and have problems. All of us do. Those hurts, habits, and hang-ups need to be dealt with as as a part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. And, And again, it's one step at a time. You have these hurts, habits, or hang-ups. It's not going to go away overnight. You didn't get it overnight. And we're going to take our way, and we're going to take step by step, and we're going to get through that with others around us and help around us and family around us. But you know, sometimes what I've discovered is our brokenness causes us to think that we can't do it. That we just don't have what it takes. It's like the saboteur of boredom or burnout. Sometimes it causes us to quit just before the breakthrough. That same outcome. We can quit when we no longer believe that it's possible for us to become what we thought that God showed us he had for us. That your you in five years, whatever that was, was just a pipe dream. It was an illusion. It was a fantasy. It was a deception that you fell for. And, and what goes on in your head is it was never really a possibility for me anyhow. Anyone ever been there? I have. That's what happens. So what's the answer to this? How can we keep our brokenness and weakness from sabotaging who we could be in five years? Let me say it like this. It's about focus. You need to focus not on what you can't do, but on what God can do. Remember, we talk about this often. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in the life of the Christ follower. It says in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, I pray that you will understand 
the incredible greatness. And he's not saying, I pray that you'll have this. He's saying, you already have it. I'm praying that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Gave him the power and the authority, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. He said, I want you to understand that. Now, you might feel like you don't have it in you to reach that dream of who you could be in five years. You know what I have to say to that? You don't. At least not in and of yourself. What I ask you to do every week, what God asks you to do to follow Jesus, to live for Him, you can't. You can't because you don't have what it takes. You say, well, it's kind of rude. None of us have what it takes on our own. But He can and will accomplish through you what you can't do on your own if you'll let Him. How do we do that? That's last week. If you haven't heard it, go online, listen to it. Baby steps. Jesus, coffee, repeat. Jesus, coffee, repeat. If your time with Jesus is a night, maybe it's Jesus, decaf, and repeat. Maybe it's Jesus, tea, and repeat. Here's what's important. The, the, the coffee part is not what's important. It's the Jesus and the repeat part. Over and over and over and over and over. And you might not see a change. You say, I did that and it didn't change. How long did you do it? I did it for three whole days and nothing (laughs) changed in my life. Here's what I know. I've been doing it for 45 years. I don't always see the change I'd like to see. But when I look back, I see, holy cow, look at what God has done in and through me. And that's what he wants to do for all of us. You won't see it overnight. We just, we keep doing it. Jesus, coffee, repeat. Here's what Second uh, Peter 1.3 says. Everything. Can you say that first word with me? Everything. Everything. So what are we going to talk about here? Everything. Everything. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. And here's how. By getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God best invitation we ever received. That's how this all happens. How do you get to know intimately and personally Jesus? Jesus coffee repeat. Every day, spending time with him in his word. Hearing him speak to you through his word. Finding out what it says. Finding out what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. Hearing from him every single day, even when you've done it for a week and it doesn't seem like it's done anything. We just, we keep doing it. And then one day we look back and we realize I know him more personally and intimately than I thought I would. And and, and we start to have that. You see, the saboteurs of busyness, boredom or burnout, or by yourself, or brokenness, we can be overcomers. You can be that you in five years by the power and provision of God. That's the only way. There are so many things that can sabotage or sidetrack or or spoil this for us or sideline us, so many of those things. They can cause us to slow down or stall or even stop. So let's get to know Jesus more personally and intimately. 
And let's discard the other things that are keeping us from that and focus on that. And I would say, let's go for it. Let's hold nothing back because the time is short. There are no guarantees, but we can make the next five years. If God gives us that long, we can make the next five years count. And the you in five years can be more than you ever imagined. My prayer is that the you in five years looks back five years and doesn't even recognize the current you. Who is that person? That's the change that I want to... But maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, it needs to start just getting to know Jesus in the first place. You can't get to know him more intimately and personally because you don't know him. You've been to church and you understand the rules and the rituals and the regulations and the requirements and all that, and that's not worked for you. It's okay. It didn't work for me either. What worked for me is a relationship with Jesus. And that's simply coming to him and saying, I don't understand all this, but here's, here's what I get. I've screwed up. I mean, you're not saying I've screwed up. <laughs> Obviously, I've screwed up. You're saying you've screwed up to God. I've screwed up. I understand I've broken some of the rules. I understand that there's sin there, and I understand that sin separates us from you, God. I don't want that anymore. I want to have that intimate personal relationship with you and that only comes through recognizing our sin has separated us from God and that Jesus paid the price for our sin because the wages of sin is death. There's a price to be paid. Jesus paid that price and if you will accept his payment for your sin, you get a whole new life. And you say, Jesus, I don't understand that, but that sounds good. I want in. I I believe that what you did was for me. And I'm making you the one in charge now, not me. And when we do that, we get forgiveness from all of our past, all of our sins. We get purpose for living today. And we get an incredible living hope for the future. And then every day, little by little, we get to know him more intimately and personally. And all those things that would sabotage who we're going to be in five years can be discarded and pushed right out of the way because we're following him. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, we, we come to you just thanking you for uh, providing for us, for giving us the power that we need to do this. My prayer is that for those who have already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, that they would realize that today... It's about hearing from you on what's important. It's about clinging to what we need to cling to and discarding what we need to discard. It's about following you daily, little by little, step by step, getting to know you more intimately and personally with no substitute or sacrifice for that. And Father, for those who have never come into that personal relationship with you, My prayer is that today they would see that that's what they've been missing. That's the piece that's that's not there, that's, that's putting everything else back together, that by claiming you as Savior, believing what you did and receiving you as Savior, it begins to put life back together. It begins to put it back into perspective again. That we can be forgiven from our past and have a meaning and a purpose to our lives today knowing that we have an incredible hope for the future. Father, thank you for what you're doing through us and in us, and I pray that whatever you're asking of us, our answer to you today would be yes. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.
We have the best worship team at any church I've ever been at in my whole life. You rock that. I would say nothing's going to hold you back. And nothing's going to hold you back. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we ever received. Jesus, coffee, repeat. Over and over and over. Amen. You don't want to miss next week. Next week is part five. We're going to talk about what if. Before I pray, I would like to thank Mike, first of many times. Mike has been my friend for decades. Um, I have watched him pour into and shape so many people, um, both on this stage and in other areas, and it's just very exciting to have him having poured into my kids' life as well. And congratulations, Josh. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we have everything we need to be able to accomplish what you want us to accomplish. That we have everything we need to be able to be who you want us to be. We thank you for that. And my prayer, Father, is anybody that doesn't have that because they don't know you yet would in simple faith turn to you. That they would become a child of the King by trusting Jesus. By believing what you said was true by receiving him as Savior. And in simple faith, becoming a child of the King and getting that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, thank you. I pray that we would not let anything sabotage our little by little, our steps, our small steps, our baby steps, our movement toward becoming who you want us to be, that we would stick with it so that we would see an incredible harvest of blessing. Thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.